Please be seated. In a time of growing isolation and individualism, we are reminded of how important it is to stay connected to God and to each other. Jesus gave us a meaningful metaphor to help make the point. I am the vine and you are the branches, Jesus declared. Jesus calls us into a life of connection before production, a life rooted in genuine love, a life that yields fruit that lasts as we abide in him. What a great series. Hey, before I, I start, I enjoyed praising God with you in song. Wow, that was powerful. And I don't know if you can hear it from where you sit, but we have these battling groups here between the youth and the campus ministry. And wow, by the way, they beat you today. But I was sitting closer to them, I just have to say. But thanks for worshiping God together. And now it's time to open up our Bibles and, uh, and study some together. We're in this series called Connected. Last week we saw that baptism video, and that reminded us of the connection of so many people to God through the blood of Jesus. And for us as believers, hopefully it reminded us of our time of connecting to God through baptism. And now we live this life. And Randy started off by making a very powerful point in that in this life of connected to the vine, the main focus is not production. It's that we stay connected, and then the fruit will happen. But to be very cautious, because there are fake vines that call to us. And oftentimes we find ourselves losing this life because we connected to something that's fake. And so today we want to spend some time talking about the source of life and what that true source is all about. I mean, right now you could look down at your phone and you could tell me how many bars on your phone. Chances are right now your connectivity to uh, data and to cell service is a little bit down because of where you are. And we spend a lot of time thinking about our connectivity. I mean, just ask a young person. They can connect to their toaster and their TV. I mean, they, we can connect to everything, and I, I love that. But if we spent so much time, if we spent more time looking to see how is our connectivity, how many bars do we have with God right now? How are things going with my relationship with Him? We could live a truly abundant life. So my question as we evaluate ourselves is, are you looking for a better life? Now, the answer for many people to this question is, is no. And that includes some of us. We're, we're living a good life. We're living the words of the Ben Rector song, living my best life. I love that song. It's got a word in it I don't enjoy very much, so be careful. But the concept and the tune, I really enjoy that song. And we find abundance and happiness so much in this world and in this moment. And in the song, he talks about it. I woke up this morning. I have relationship, a good relationship. I have children. There is joy in the small things of life. And many people in this world can relate to that. And all of that's good. But today, we're not talking about just the little things. We're talking about the big things in life and how they impact those small things. So how do we live our best life now and forever. I'm truly hopeful that you will personalize this message, that you'll take it to heart, and as we're studying and thinking this morning, that you will see how it, it pertains to you. And if I want that from you as the presenter, I'm going to be a little bit personal right now. 
in many ways, when I reflect on this, my stage of life right now, I truly think life's about as good as it gets. In fact, with some of you, if we've had a conversation more than just in the hallway, where we're sitting down and we're talking about life, and, and you've asked me, How, how's life going for you right now? You, you very likely heard me say, I'm living the Ben Rector song. I'm living my best life. I mean, there's so many things good in my life. I'm not caring for an aging parent or somebody with a critical, that's critically ill. There's no illness or de- disease in my immediate family. I love my house, my home. I'm not having to move. I'm not having to remodel. I love my job. I have family that lives nearby. I'm a granddad. I mean, I, I have a pastime that I'm passionate about and really enjoy. I am living my best life. And as I'm living this best life, I just want to remind you of a few facts. There's world in this, war in this world and in Ukraine and Israel. There are issues in this world. We live in a nation that is filled with inequities and injustice. There is political unrest and hateful language. It, within this church family, within this room right now that means so much to me, there are people that are really struggling with disease and health issues. And some are experiencing profound grief right now. And all that in the midst of my statement, I'm living my best life. I can even say that knowing that I daily grieve the loss of my parents. And on Wednesday of this week, January 31st, it's the 39th birthday of our firstborn, Kristen Sue Grizzly. And yet in the midst of those things that cause grief, even choke me up, I can say I'm living my best life. It's all because of the source of life. Turn in your Bible to Jeremiah 17. He's going to explain it. He's going to tell us that there are two choices here, according to the God in Jeremiah. There's the physical or the spiritual. In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah is a prophet of God, and he's bringing a message to the children of God, and he's warning them about the consequences of trusting in this world and in human strength, and in so doing, turning away from God. And he addresses some really serious issues they are, they are experiencing right now. They have a lot of political unrest, and they're trying to decide, am I going to uh, count on my political nation or alliances to bring me this joy and happiness? Am I going to rely on those kind of powers? They're also struggling with idolatry. They have started mirroring and reflecting the world around them, and they're embracing the world and what they, around them and what they value. And so in the midst of these concepts, he shares these powerful verses about the source of life. Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 5. He talks about the physical. He says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He said, this is what it looks like if you're finding your source of life in the physical, in what's happening around you. It, if you are finding strength from this world, from the people around you, if your heart is turned away from God, that means that you're finding your source of life in this world. And here's the result of that. 
Verse 6, that person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. So when I trust in man, when I draw strength from my flesh, and when I turn away from God, what happens is my life is parched. I'm living in a place that it's hard to find life. And even if prosperity comes, I can't recognize it for what it is, or I will not get to enjoy that prosperity. These actions make it impossible to live true life. In fact, it says I'm living in an environment, a salt land, where life is not even possible. So the abundant life God made us to live is not even possible if we're looking for our source from this world. Now, you might disagree with me. Or you might have friends that disagree. Say, no, I'm living my best life. Everything's good. Live in a good country. Have family. I have health. All these things. Listen, if this is where you, what you're thinking or where you are, your friends are, let me just point out how this passage started in verse 5. This isn't me talking. It's not even Jeremiah talking. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord, who happens to be God, who created the heaven and the earth, who created this world, who created you. God says, I made you, and I know if you look to this world for your source, you can't find life. And then Jeremiah goes on and talks about the other option, and that is a spiritual life and what it looks like. Verse 7, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. I mean, our eyes are set to God. And our source is not in the, the fickleness of this world, but it is the consistency of God. I draw strength from the fact that I trust God. I don't understand everything, but I trust God. I have confidence in Him. And when I live this kind of life, here's the result. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I, mean, I can live this life that is so abundant that even if there's a drought around, I still have the fruits of happiness and joy. Even in the difficult times of caregiving and illness and death and profound grief. In other words, I can have that joy right now, today, in this place, in this world. And can we all agree that this world is not heaven? It is not a perfect place. And so Jeremiah 17, he's talking about the outcomes and consequences of our choices, whether it's this world or God. So let's look at the source when the world is our source again. When I, I, I try to find life and purpose only in this world. So as I personally reflect on this, one of my greatest sources of sorrow in the here and now is based upon personal regrets over actions and even inactions in life. I call them cringe-worthy moments. I mean, I think about them and I just cringe. <laughs> Come on, kid. Now, since we're being personal, let me share just a few of those. I mean, they start, I'm, some of my first memories, even as a child. I can remember when I was about five years old, I stole a neighbor's football that I wanted. And when I w was caught, I lied about it. And to this day, it's just, oh, come on, that's not the kind of person I wanted to be. Or in elementary school, 
there was a time that I mistreated a special needs person. And even in college, I remember being outside the students there once, and someone was making fun of another person, and I did not come to their defense. And every time I think of these, I cringe. And some of those things that really caused me to cringe are things I did do or didn't do or didn't say simply out of ignorance. I didn't know how to act or what to say or what to do. And I did nothing. And as I reflect on it now, it makes me cringe. Now, each of those I mention are very personal to me. I mean, I'm thinking of specific times in my life. But if I want to be completely open here, those are just a few of the ones. And they're the only the ones that I'm willing to share in this setting. But they do make me cringe. However, there are many more cringe-worthy memories I have. So why are they so painful to recall? I mean, in the light of Christ's love and what Jesus did for me, why are those memories so painful? Now, I'm not for sure, but as I've, I reflect, as I've reflected on it, I think it's when darkness kind of creeps into my life, I, I think of those things because they are dark. And because through Jesus, the light of his life shone into mine and exposed the darkness. And now I see it for what it really is. However, that same light that exposed the darkness in my life also illuminates a pathway forward. Turn over to John chapter 1. He's going to speak of that pathway that, of light that is found in Jesus. When we have the source of life being Jesus, listen to the words of John. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So Jesus, John is talking about Jesus as our source of the abundant life. And I want to highlight two words because they're so important. Life and light. I mean, when Jesus is our source, we have life, abundant life. And we have light, and the result of that life is that it exposes and it illuminates. And when I cringe at those cringeworthy times, it's because the life and light of Jesus, I see them for what they are. And yet even now, the blood of Jesus washes them out, causes them not to be evil or bad, but washes them out, and I can see them in a different light of grace and mercy. And that same light in life illuminates the pathway forward. So I can see that path and I have an example with which to follow. John shares that pathway in a profound way in, in 1 John 1 through 4. And it's a pathway through Jesus so we can have fellowship with God. But before we read the text, let me just remind you a few things about John. We're reading his gospel and his letters. You remember John? The apostle, one of the twelve, one who was very close and had a close and personal relationship with Jesus. And yet even John had his imperfections. Some even called him what? Son of thunder, right? And that had to be partially because of a fiery and impulsive nature. And yet this son of thunder was a witness to Jesus, an eyewitness. 
He had the privilege of walking with Jesus and talking with him that gave him such a deep understanding of Jesus and who he was. And it transformed him. It changed him. I mean, early in his walk with Jesus as an apostle, he wanted to call down fire on this, in the, the Samaritan city, Son of Thunder. And yet what we know John for is those epistles of his, those letters, and as the apostle of love. I mean, he was changed. And in his writings, he always emphasizes this fellowship we could have with God that he had through Jesus, even though he had his failures, so that we could have hope and have that message of fellowship and connection. So I hope I've said this in a way that can cause you to relate to Paul, I mean to John, because that's what John would want for you. So let's look at the text, 1 John 1, beginning in verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read the whole text, and then we're going to highlight a few points. Here we go. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it, and we, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, I want to go back to the text and just highlight a few things. First of all, John is saying this is something very personal. He uses words like we and us and our. He, he's saying this is real. Not just to me, but there are other eyewitnesses. This is something that I experienced. And it is tangible. I heard it. I saw it. I mean, I touched it. This is real to me. It's tangible. It's a real connection. And that real connection that was so personal to me made it, made, was so wonderful that I cannot keep it quiet. And so this is what we are telling you. We're proclaiming it. We're testifying to it. We're even writing about it. Because what we experienced is so wonderful, we can't keep it on the inside. It's too good to keep quiet. Because you can experience this too. And what can you experience? This fellowship, this source of life, the word of life, eternal life, fellowship with the Father, and with his son Jesus. We too can have this connection that John had, both in the present and forever, both now and forever. What beautiful thoughts. So, Paul's gonna take all these thoughts we've discussed so far, and in a very meaningful way in Romans 8, he's gonna expand upon these thoughts. So, I, now turn over to Romans 8 with me. So, we're looking at the source of this abundant life. A life that is abundant both now and forever. Now, leading up to this section in Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 9. Paul's been discussing the difference between living according to the flesh, which he says leads to death, and living according to the spirit, which he says brings life and peace. So let's dig into the text. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, then they do not belong to Christ. 
So he talks about this realm, a word that I don't get in my uh, vocabulary very often. Bert, you use that all the time, realm? Yeah, yeah, it's the realm of my wife, maybe. Or, yeah. But realm is just a district or an area where somebody has power or influence. So if you're in their realm, you're in a place where they have special power, their, their influence holds sway. So he says to the believers, baptized believers, to the believers, he says, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. In the realm of the flesh, there is darkness, there is chaos. It's a broken place where human desires and sinful tendencies dominate. He says, that is not where you are in. That's not what you're in. You are in the realm of the spirit, a realm of light and peace and divine influence. Now, he points out to his reader, they were, basically saying you were in that other realm, but through Christ, you had entrance into the realm of the Spirit. Because one can only enter into this realm belonging to Jesus, which means the Spirit of God lives in them. So, so make, it, make it clear. As Christians, you don't live in the physical realm. You live in the spiritual realm. We are not in the realm of the flesh. We are in the realm of the spirit, both now and forevermore. Hang on to that thought. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of, the, of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Because you're thinking right now, wait a second. I live in a world of chaos, of war, injustice. But what Paul is alluding to is something like the Spirit, the breath of God, bring, breathes life into me now. And it gives me life because of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. So here's how to better grasp this truth. He sums up in verse 11. That's, that's too deep for me. Let's, let's make it more practical in verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you Give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, there's an awful lot here, much more than I can understand or even unpack for you. But here's Kent's version, or here's how, how it, what it says to me anyway. Jesus died for our sins. I mean, dead, died, separated from God because of the sins of the world. I, I was in that world Jesus died, was separated from God because of my, my sins. But God raised him from the dead, that death that was caused because of me and my sin. God raised him from the dead. And in the waters of baptism, I follow that pathway of death. I declare, confess Christ as Lord. I am Buried in the waters of baptism, burying the old man. The blood of Jesus and those washes me from my sins, and I'm raised to walk a new life. I die, I'm buried, and I'm resurrected. And why do I have to go through that? Because of whose sins? My sins. Jesus died for my sins, and that same, the same sins that sent him to the cross... And to the grave sent me to the waters of baptism and the grave. And when Jesus came out of his grave, where does he dwell now? 
the right hand of God, that perfect God, a God where no sin, that's, he dwells with God. And when I came out of my grave, God, through his spirit, lives where? That same perfect God who raised Jesus who died for my sins dwells within me because my sins are washed away. So we agreed, this is not heaven. We're not in heaven yet. So when I get to heaven, and you know all those cringe-worthy worthy things that I still think about on occasion, that will I ever think of them in heaven? If there are no tears in heaven, I don't think there's any cringing in heaven either. And how can that be? In my mind, here's how it happens. In heaven, the grace, mercy, and glory of God is so bright. There can be no darkness. None whatsoever. There's no cringing in heaven because it is overshadowed by the light of God's love, grace, and mercy. Then how about the here and now? Why do I still cringe on occasion? I think in the here and now, it's because when a little darkness enters my life and in my thinking and in my mind, it still causes me to cringe. But brother and sister, we need cringe not so much anymore. We can't forget it. But let the light of God's love, mercy, and grace shown to you through the blood of Jesus, wash it out. Fade it out. We're not in the realm of the flesh any longer. We are in the realm of the Spirit, if Christ is in us. And it is very clear, Paul's saying, abundant life is possible now. So let His light shine on us and shine through us. So I ask the question again. Time to wrap up. Are you, are you looking for a better life? Now, maybe for Christians we can say both no and yes. No, because God's love shown through Jesus who died for my sin and gives me fellowship with God. And now his spirit dwells in with me. In me. So, no, I, I mean, I, I have the abundant life now. I can be living my best life. God can live in me because I'm now free from sin. So in the midst of the realm of greed, injustice, and hate, and regret, I can still be living my best life. So maybe you can say no. But I think we also want to be able to say yes. Because this isn't heaven. My heart might be in the realm of God, but I'm living <laughs> in a different place. I'm not living in heaven yet. So yeah, I'm looking for a better life. A place without sin and its consequences. A new place. The place John describes in Revelation. The city that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. 
for there will be no night there. A place of light that's fully illuminated by the glory of God through Jesus. And there's no concern that Satan will attack or come in. You leave the gates open. There is no night. There is no time for the enemy to attack. I'm looking forward to that place. Earlier in that chapter, John would write, I heard a loud voice from heaven say, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It's a new place. And that source of life can start now for us. That abundant life. I can live it both today and forever. Because God's that source. And God can dwell in us. Well, I hope you'll let your light shine in such a way that others see that abundant life. But if you, like me, struggle with these thoughts, we're in this together. In just a few moments, uh, some of our shepherds and their wives are going to go to the parlor. And you could go there and just share with them and pray and ask God's light to shine more brightly into your life and through your life. Or we'd love to pray for you here as well. And if you've never given your life to Christ and started this new life, this abundant life, won't you do so now? If you've been studying and know what Jesus did for you and you believe he is the Son of God, won't you give your life to him? If you need to respond in a public way, won't you do so right now as we stand together and sing?